Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. stay united in the midst of that. Um, it's a little bit relevant given our current political context in our nation. And so we've tried to focus on ways in which Christianity can look at the world differently and make decisions that are appropriate for us as people whose hearts are being continuously transformed by the love and grace of God. And as we move today into a mini two-part sermon series in the midst of the bigger worship series, I want you to hear these words from the book of the Acts of Apostles, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. This is going to set the stage for one of the biggest contentions in Scripture. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church. And as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider the matter. After there has been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, my brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. So there's this major moment in the beginning of Christianity that's recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. This moment when it could all come crashing down before it barely got off the ground. This moment when you start to see this distinction happening in the body of Christ. In the beginning, the vast majority of those who were following Jesus and who had converted after his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension were Jews. And the apostles themselves were Jews. And they had grown up in that culture. They understood the law of Moses, and they knew what they were getting into. And they understood the gospel to mean that they would find grace for the times that they could not keep the law. 
when their sinful inclinations had led them astray and they had failed to be obedient to God's word. And that's how they understood the transformation that happened in Christ to their covenant. That Christ didn't undo the law, but fulfilled it, as he said. And that Jesus didn't nullify their covenant, but entered into a new one in addition. And as they understood that, they became confronted with a very distinct viewpoint. Now, by this point, the Apostle Paul has been transformed through his encounter with the resurrected Christ. That from heaven, Jesus called down to Paul and asked why he was persecuting the church. And Paul had this conversion experience, this powerful reaction to being spoken to by God. And he realized that this path of destruction and death and persecution that he had been on for these new Christians was in fact wrong. And that he would now be called to the very opposite life, a life of evangelism and grace. And he was called to go forth to the Gentiles. Anybody who wasn't Jewish was a Gentile. And so he found himself continuously traveling as his job as a tent maker required him to do. And everywhere he traveled and set up shop, he preached the gospel. And there he planted churches in the name of Jesus Christ. There he cultivated conversion. And there the body of Christ started to grow among the Gentiles. But news of this got back to the apostles in Jerusalem. And there the church was starting to see its own glory. There the Jews were converting. There were different people with a different culture. And they weren't quite sure where this new Gentile conversion culture fit in. And so there comes this teaching from Judea that you have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law. You have to enter into the first covenant in order to be bound with the second and this was consistent with the teaching of Peter and the others, that this is how they understood Christ coming to them. And Paul doesn't agree. And so he comes down with Barnabas and some of the others who had been in ministry with them, and they're there to figure out what the way forward will look like. And when they come into Jerusalem, they come bringing tidings and tithes and this understanding that God has been very much at work in the Gentiles. There are entire colonies of Christians springing up all over the edges of the Roman Empire. People are having their hearts and their lives transformed. Things are going very well. So what's the problem? The problem is that as human beings, we like everything to fit in our box. And these Gentiles, that's a round peg, and it doesn't quite fit in there. And above all, Paul was a Pharisee himself. Nobody knew the law better than the Pharisees. Nobody. And Paul himself had been circumcised and held to the covenant. He, above all, should know what's required of them. So why is he giving them a free pass? Why is he letting these Gentiles off the hook? They're eating things that no good Jew should ever eat. They're wearing cotton blends. They're engaged in crab cakes and cheeseburgers. What is wrong with these people? 
This is not how we behave. And things like that are already starting to tear apart the community. And so it is that they come to find a way forward. Paul doesn't want to walk. Paul doesn't want to take his Gentile converts and start something new. Paul understood that we are called to be one in Jesus Christ. No matter our division, no matter our dissension, no matter where we stand on a particular issue or whose side we weigh in on, we were called to be united. And he came to call them into that same unity. And as he shows up in Jerusalem, you have a large battle on your hands. And I have no doubt that the apostles didn't see Peter's statement coming. They thought they were ready for the heavyweight battle of the millennium, right? In this corner, you have the new guy, Paul, Pharisee, zealous for the faith. He knows what he's talking about. He used to persecute us. And now he's here, and maybe he's out for blood. And let's see what this converter of the Gentiles can bring to fight our heavyweight champion, Peter. Peter, the rock, the foundation upon which Christ said he would build his church, the one who from the very beginning was there. He had the insider information at the transfiguration on the mountaintop. He was there when Christ was crucified. He was there for the Last Supper. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the resurrected Christ. He had a personal relationship with Jesus for the three years of his earthly ministry, and he is here for the title bout. And so all you're missing is Michael Buffer and the infamous let's get ready to rumble. But when the bell rings, Paul doesn't expect that Peter won't come out swinging. Instead, before there's even a debate, Peter says, we are called to all people. We are called so that the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers And God knows the human heart and has blessed them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And they are being cleansed by their faith, not by their mikvahs and their ritual offerings. And I have no doubt that the second Peter starts to look at Paul and starts to express this position, that all the rest of the apostles and the elders and the gathered people of the church are going, what are you doing We already had a Judas. Why are you betraying who we are and what we believe and how we practice and how we worship? And if Paul was the smart one, which I always think he is, I bet he just kept his mouth shut. I'm going to let this one do all the work. And for Peter to stand there and say, maybe there is space for another perspective. Maybe there is validity to the experience and the encounter that they are expressing. Maybe we ought to just stop and listen. It's a powerful moment. Because I'm sick of reading, if you don't like the candidate I'm voting for, unfriend me. I'm sick of reading, I don't understand how all of you people could even like this person. I don't understand. Clearly, you're misogynistic. Clearly, you're racist. Clearly, you hate people. I don't remember any of that being on my voter registration. 
And yet we're living in a culture where it is getting so nasty and we're, pit, we're pitted against each other and we're picking sides. I'm with Paul, I'm with Peter. We can't possibly be together. But no, Peter stops everything and grinds it to a halt by acknowledging the godliness and the goodness in the other. That these people, and don't get the original apostles wrong, the Jews had been persecuted by the Roman Empire for many years. They had had lots of nasty encounters with Gentiles who treated them poorly. And with all of that background and all of that pain and suffering, these early Christians in Jerusalem felt like God had finally smiled down upon them from heaven. And that just maybe, just maybe things were going to be okay. And then Paul comes in with his people and stirs the whole pot. Just once can't we have a win. Just once, Paul, would you just back off and let us have a moment. It had been a rough time for the early apostles in Jerusalem. They thought that Jesus was going to usher in the messianic period. They didn't think that he was going to die, even though he'd been telling them constantly for three years that he would. And then when he died, they couldn't remember that he was supposed to resurrect even though he had been telling them constantly that he would. Because the truth is that when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of our life, we always forget what Jesus said. It's really easy in those moments of tension and stress to forget that Jesus said, it's going to be all right, I am with you. And that I have given you all of this knowledge and all of my love on the cross, and it's going to be okay. And we just lose it in our lives. And that's exactly what was going on at this point in Jerusalem. Things are tense. And what decision is made could forever change Christianity. They could either be set up to explode into the world in unprecedented numbers or you could kill it before it even really starts to take hold. And Peter, God love him, has spent his entire biblical career with one big win and then one big loss, constantly saying the right thing, doing the right thing, and then undermining it the very next chapter. You are the Messiah, he proclaims to Jesus. Yes, but you can't die. No! What is wrong with you? I want to walk on water. If you tell me to come to you, I can do it. Come. Ooh, this looks scary. You of little faith. You have these moments, says Jesus, these moments of such clarity and conviction. But then you look around and you let some water and some waves and a storm Take your eyes off of me. And all of a sudden, it all starts to fail. So here we are at a time where the world wants us to take our eyes off of Jesus and focus on another battle. Focus on something else. And in order to do that, it really wants us to leave all of this behind. Right? It doesn't want us to pay attention to things with a heart of grace and forgiveness. It doesn't want us to use our rational minds to say, 
it is possible that somebody might not agree with me and still be a good human being. It's possible that somebody else may have some kind of experience that doesn't resonate and speak to me and for which I have no point of reference in my life, but that doesn't make them the living embodiment of the devil. It's possible that this is another beloved child of God who's articulating something that I may have to hear even if I don't agree with it. It's very possible that this is a time about putting away my beliefs and my personal feelings and just being in the moment and hearing another person and reserving judgment for God. I think that's what breaks my heart the most about this election right now in our country is that the amount of judgment that's being thrown around and slung forth, it's horrific. It's really painful to see adults talk to adults this way. It's really horrible to know that we are exposing our children and our teenagers to this kind of language and behavior. That really doesn't sit well with me. I want us to be the kind of Christians that go, hold on a second, let's have a moment where I'm going to try with every fiber of my being to remember that God loves you just as much as God loves me. And that after you say things that make my blood boil and my head hurt, I'm not going to unfriend you on Facebook or block you on Instagram. As a matter of fact, when all of this is over, I'm going to give thanks to God that I heard you today. That you came into my midst and that you brought something completely unprecedented into my world. And I received it in whatever way that I could. And what I can't stand, I will leave at the altar and in God's hands but that I'm not going to forsake you because I have a God that never forsakes me. I want us to get to that point where we stop Xing people out of our lives. I want us to get to the point where we fight for the person and not the perspective. We've got a lot of work to do. And Paul and Peter are not done. They're going to have this battle. And whether it's being articulated by one of them or their supporters, trust me when I tell you it's going to get nasty. And it's going to become one of those moments where it will change the world. We go back in history a lot of times now in this country and we look at those moments, right, those turning point moments where things could have gone very differently. And we all sit around and go, what if? What if that had happened? What if the two greatest evangelists in all the world, in the entire history of Christianity, had had a knockdown, drag out debate and sowed such discord with their followers that the church was forever broken? What would this world look like? Where would we be if that had happened? Because the truth is that the history of Christianity leans equally on both. Yes, Peter is considered to be the first pope, but I'll tell you what, I've read the Catechism of the Catholic Church several times, and they might call Peter the pope, but Paul's had a greater influence. And it is Paul that is quoted time and time and time again 
It's Paul's theology that embeds the denominations. But it's Peter's actions that inspire people to have those moments of glory and goodness. Good old Peter, a fisherman from backwater, backcountry Galilee, who is made the greatest of the slaves of Jesus Christ. And made so because he is faithful and constant and abiding in the presence of our Lord. It takes both to make Christianity. And the question that we'll discover next week is, who's going to win? Who's going to win? Because the threat is that we become so obsessed with voting for our superstar champion that we forget that we're all supposed to be working for God. And Peter and Paul realize that there is something at stake here that is far greater than the debate that Jerusalem thinks it's watching. That we're either setting up future generations for glory or we're setting them up for constant regret and Monday morning quarterbacking. Our decisions matter as adults, as members of the church, from confirmed youth all the way up. What we say and do matters. And if we don't believe that, then why do we bother? Why do we bother becoming Christians and worshiping Jesus Christ and taking our place in the body of Christ repeatedly if we don't believe that this matters? So as all of this ruminates in us over the next week and we gather together to find out the exciting conclusion of our title bout, I pray that we will just look at those opportunities to stop the downward spiral of disgusting dehumanization. Where are those times where we can say, time out, let me try to process this. How can you feel that way? How can you say these things? What is it that's motivating you? Is it fear? Is it hurt? Is it pain? Is it suffering? I once had a dog that was sick. And the dog had arthritis in her spine. And the dog who had never bit before suddenly started snapping, right? And if you didn't know this dog, you might think, that's a nasty old dog. Bad behavior. But the dog was hurting inside. And the only way that dog knew how to say, stop, don't touch me, was to snarl and snap. But thankfully, my mother is a brilliant nurse, and she said, something's not right here. We have to find the root cause, because we can't just address this. We have to find out what's really wrong. And so we started a journey and a process, and ultimately a healing for that dog. But you know what? It wasn't just the dog that was healed. It was the whole household. The whole community was healed. Because I now had a dog that I remembered loving and who loved me back. And that dog was once more restored to its rightful place in our household. So don't think that just because you hear nasty things that everything on the inside is nasty. Maybe there's some pain and some suffering 
that we, through the movement and power of Jesus Christ, can bring a little healing to. Let that be our work this day and every day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.